Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today, I'm happy to have with me on Table Talk four incredibly successful independent restaurateurs who, like many business operators these days, are dealing with the fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic on their businesses. Please join me in welcoming Nick DiDonato, President and CEO of the Liberty Entertainment Group, Charles Caboose, CEO and founder and president of Inc. Entertainment, Grant Van Gameren, chef and owner of Over Budget Inc., which operates several highly successful restaurants and bars in downtown Toronto, and Janet Zuccarini, CEO, owner, and visionary behind the Gusto 54 Restaurant Group with restaurants in Toronto and LA. So welcome, everyone, and, uh, and a big thank you for being here today as part of this Table Talk podcast. I know there's a lot going on in everyone's lives these days, and I'm, um, and I'm very appreciative that you've taken time to be here. And I'm really looking forward to spending some time examining how this global pandemic has impacted your businesses, but also what you're doing to prepare for the road to recovery. So why don't we get started? And um, first off, I guess the question, what has life in lockdown looks like for all of you? And maybe we can start with Nick. Well, we at the Liberty Entertainment Group have a fairly diverse portfolio from event spaces to tourist attractions to to restaurants. So uh, a a very different outlook for for each of those. Uh, Some have been completely closed down. For example, Casaloma, which is uh, a tourist attraction, uh, has been closed down. The Liberty Grand, which is predominantly an event space for large events, has been closed. And our restaurants, uh, obviously, were closed initially uh, when this first started in early March or mid-March. And then we had to pivot and identify what revenue streams and going online with deliveries and takeout service, uh, which we were allowed to do, is the uh, is the direction we went. And, and, and that's uh, where we're at right now. Okay. Um, Grant, how about from your perspective? I know you also have several independent restaurants. What has life in lockdown been like? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the difficulty with me is that I kind of, you know, run eight, ten different concepts, right? You know, there's, there's, there's no real running theme other than the food industry. So, you know, for me, it's, uh, I feel like, you know, um, you know, it, it, it's been a lot of mixed emotions, you know, and just talking personally, it's, you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, you know, dealing with that aspect of this lockdown, right. Where it's, it's this, you know, overwhelming emotions throughout the days and weeks of, you know, whether it's, um, you know, regret or depression or anger, uh, you know, feeling like, you know, as, as restaurant owners, you know, and entrepreneurs, we like to be in control. Right. And, uh, I, I think that is kind of one of the the hardest things to deal with in this is that um, none of it's in our control, um, you know, whether it's from the landlord or what the governments are saying and, and then, you know, the pandemic itself. Right. So, um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, just dealing with all the information coming in and, 
you know, constantly evolving and changing and then all the gossip and this and that. So, you know, I've really just been looking at all the concepts and, you know, I, I feel like I've been slower to react than, than other restaurants or restaurant groups. Um, you know, and that's just part of my strategy is kind of, you know, because originally I thought it was going to be over in two, three weeks. And then, uh, you know, and then I read a few articles. I was like, oh, this is going to be much worse. Right. So, you know, we're looking at ways to pivot and, and being, you know, and, and using those that, those that same skill set that got us to where we are in the first place. Um, but, you know, like I've I've been trying to take it a little bit slow um, and, uh, you know, kind of just, you know, work on one at a time and uh and you know do the best that we can right for sure janet from your perspective um what's it been like for you i know you have several uh, restaurants as well and you had opened a new one earlier in the year just before covid it's uh, it must be a tough time yeah it, you know um this pandemic hit me personally at a very bad time uh, there's no good time for a pandemic, but I would have been in better shape um, a year ago with money in the bank. Instead, I had you know just opened a 9,000 square foot restaurant in Toronto um, a couple of weeks before I had to shut it down. And then shut down eight restaurants in Toronto, uh, you know, and furloughed 700 employees. And you know, then I have four other projects. Um, at various stages of the construction process. So I have two restaurants and, and, they're, and they're all pretty large in LA and two restaurants in Toronto under construction. So the absolute worst time to be under construction and it, all of my money out on the, on the projects. So like for me, I was brought to my knees. I was just absolutely brought to my knees and everything being funded by, you know, eight restaurants, nine restaurants, one in LA and eight in Toronto the revenue stream funding all the construction sites. So uh, I was I was brought to my knees, and um, you know I tend to not feel stress. I I had days of just stress that I I, I didn't know I was capable of feeling, uh, you know. And so I, you know, the, the entire industry has been decimated, and um, you know I had I had a couple of days of extreme stress, but then I knew that, you know, you know, we have to all be entrepreneurs here and be creative and pivot. And if, you know, I just went into, you know, to trying to say like, what are, what are we going to need to do here? And I was the first in my, in my company, a lot of people in my company said, we're shut down for two weeks. We're going to reopen. I'm like, no, I need a two year plan. <laughs> I need the two year, the worst case scenario, uh, Revenue has gone to zero. How are we going to come back to life? How are we going to pivot? And, you know, I've never worked harder. So what's my lockdown been where other people are baking banana bread and sourdough, <laughs> sourdough bread, and I'm working 16 hours a day. And so are most of, the, you know, my, my leadership team, as we, you know, we come, we're coming back to life and just pivoting in different ways, right? Uh, we've pivoted in many different ways. And I see the light, the, the end of my story is I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm certainly not going to be here to be making any money, but I don't think I'm going to be losing any of my businesses. And when I woke up one day and I said, I have the potential to lose all of my restaurants. And also I own most of the buildings. So I own six commercial properties. And I was like, I feel like I have the potential of losing everything. 
And when I, well, I had to, I had to live with that feeling. Like, what is it like losing everything? Okay. Oh my God. I, because here's the thing. I, I thought I was untouchable with the, with respects to risk. I thought I'm untouchable. I own all this commercial real estate. All the businesses are very strong. You know, I, you know, I don't have partners. I operate alone. These, and I went from that. I'm untouchable to, I could lose everything. And it's been a massive wake up call for me. And, um, but, but, but I'm finding my way and I feel mentally very strong. I'm not feeling that level of stress and I, and I let go and I may on the construction sites, walk away and lose millions of dollars. And that's, that's all of my cash out. I may in the, so far landlords are working with me, but I could walk away from that and I'm, I'm fine and I'm okay to say goodbye to millions. I'm actually okay. Well, it sounds like you've probably had a lot of sleepless nights for sure. Um, I did, but I'm sleeping well now. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Charles, from your perspective, you also have a lot of uh, diversified holdings in your company. What has it been like for you? I think we're all in the same boat. Um, uh, where I am today is I'm no longer stressed. <laughs> I think I've uh, gone to accept the fact that this is happening and might happen for much longer. Um, um, we're trying to cope with it the best we can. I'm trying to see if somehow between now and the end of the year, we can get back on our feet because like Janet said and everybody else, uh, we are losing, we're bleeding to death. There's, uh, and there's, from my end, there's a high end level of frustration with the non-information to our industry. You know, um, I, I think Doug Ford is doing an amazing job and the mayor, but they get on the TV and there's nothing uh, for sure. There's nothing to make us feel a little better. There's no target, nothing. And, you know, some of the stuff they've come up with to help us um, don't really work for us. Like Nick and I mentioned before, our rents are higher, our mortgages are higher. Our payroll is higher, so we're we're left out in the cold, and uh, you know I I'm just right now I'm not that stressed anymore. I was in the very beginning, but now I'm just taking it one day at a time, and I feel really bad for all the staff that's laid off, and 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 uh, not sure who's going to come back to work. You know. Yeah, it must be really even more challenging for you because you've been hit on the restaurant side, on the entertainment side, and also with with a recent hotel, which is still fairly new. So you're getting it from, yeah. from mean, all different levels. Festivals. I have three festivals. One, the biggest one in Toronto. Second biggest is in Montreal, and we do one in Ottawa. Those are gone. Um, you know, the hotel has been shut down for two months. Funny enough, when we decided to shut it down, we realized that the doors do not have locks. Because nobody right. puts locks on the front door of a hotel. We had to install locks on the front door. It was <laughs> really Yes, we're shutting down on Thursday. And the GM says, how are we going to close the hotel? Anyways, <laughs> you know, the, the hotels never shut down, you know? Right, right. So the hotels uh, are affected. We were supposed to have three restaurants in Miami open about a month and a half ago. They're closed, no construction, no opening. We have three restaurants under construction in Toronto, a private club that we're working on as well, the Spoke. So we're, uh, again, you know, Janet said it as it really is. We've all really 
been hit very hard and um, there's no one, no one talking to us. We're really probably the biggest industry in Canada and maybe globally. And we're affected and so many of people are affected behind us. So the farmers and the, the fishermen and the people producing everything. Are the supply affected. chains are huge for sure. Huge, huge. So we need to be taken care of so that the supply chain, there's no sense helping somebody at the back. It's the other way around. We got to get the help so that everybody behind us automatically is back up. So with all of these closures and business being pretty much at a standstill, some restaurants have been able to do some pivoting to take out and delivery. How have you, uh, how have all four of you coped with this? Have you been able to pivot to other revenue streams or has it been pretty minimal? I know it's different for each restaurant, but overall, uh, Grant, I know you said that you were taking more of your time to assess, you know, what to do moving forward. Were any of your restaurants able to pivot? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, like, we had uh, our brand Harry's Charbroil, which we recently closed down last year due to lease building, stuff like that. So we ended up popping up. I mean, we're relaunching in the summer with our food truck, uh, starting with our food truck before we do a scalable concept. So it was really perfect timing because everyone had gone through this long winter and, uh, and missed us and they were sad. And so our plan was to launch a big marketing program starting with our uh, food truck. So we ended up popping up early at Bar Raval. So we're cooking burgers at a bar of Al right now and uh, for delivery and pickup. Um, and then, you know, we're working on concepts, you know, we're banking on this whole alcohol thing from the government um, sticking for the long term. Like, I feel like, you know, it'll be here for two years and they won't be able to stop it after that. Um, so, you know, we're pivoting on our wine bar um, to something a little bit more long-term, Piquette. And then, uh, you know, what we're also looking is just kind of the future um, and looking at uh, creating new concepts. Like, we're not just trying to be lazy and figure out, you know, our, our old issues or our old concepts. It's, it's really about, you know, are we going to have underutilized spaces, kitchens, um, you know, one specifically being Quetzal, um, that's like 20, 20, 20 feet or so of fire. Um, you know, so we're anticipating like, okay, we're only going to be cooking it with half the fire here, but we don't want to have a restaurant that is, you know, half the fire is empty. So can we come up with a concept that, you know, is, uh, you know, food that is appropriate for delivery? Um, so, you know, we're looking for these opportunities, which, you know, uh, this is kind of like, you know, we're anticipating a scalable brand here, right? So something really good could come out of it. Um you know, because I don't think every concept, you know, I mean, Janet comes to Quetzal all the time, you know, she, uh, you know, from what she tells me, she loves it. And, uh, you know, but it's not really food that, you know, I want to all of a sudden be doing takeout. Take for, out, right? right. Yeah. It doesn't um, lend itself to yeah. it. And, you know, I, I only want to change concepts and pivot so much. And um, so, you know, we're looking at multi-use of daytime uh, kitchen space, stuff like that. Um, for wherever we can. So would you ever consider something like a ghost kitchen? Is that what you're getting to or is it a little you, bit different? You, you know, I, I had the conversation last year about ghost kitchens with one of my partners and I was, you know, I was really, I was against it because it just kind of, it, it, uh, it you know, it doesn't, you know, kind of sit well with why I got into restaurants. 
you know, design ambiance, like most, if not all the people on this call, right. You know, we put a lot of money into, you know, the experience, which goes far beyond the food and um, service. Right. So, you know, but I also talk trash a lot about these delivery apps and here I am signing contracts. So, you know, the world's changed and, you know, it's, you know, the, the people who I've, you know, the people in the concepts I, I was so against last year are, you know, essentially the people and concepts that are pretty much saving us today. Right. Yeah. So no, it makes sense. Uh, and, and Nick, from your perspective, have you been able to pivot in some of your locations? Obviously, I know Casa Loma is closed and, and the steakhouse, uh, but what have you been able to do? Well, we, we've looked at it in, in, in different uh, uh, areas and, uh, and uh, with, with different properties are all very different. You need to uh, be creative and, and come up with concepts for each. And, and the, first, the first with the Chibo was uh, a fairly straightforward one. We were on the delivery apps already and moving to delivery and it, it expanding that was very important and, and identifying that's the only revenue we could make. So uh, delivery and takeout was important, but we expanded our restaurant when we had empty restaurants and people coming through into markets. And so uh, the, the concept of having our fresh food and pasta to be able to come in and pick up and, you know, things like that. And it, it's interesting. We're a restaurant and now have a market and our biggest sellers uh, currently uh, in the market are Lysol and masks. So we looked at that, <laughs> you know, right, right from the beginning and said, look, we got to be on, go beyond what a restaurant and what a restaurant would be. What do people want? And when they go out and line up at, uh, at a big sh- sh- shop, you know, they're looking for masks and Lysol. Well, why can't we do that? And so that was a catalyst to getting our market much busier because people first came for the Lysol and masks. It's easy, accessible, smaller venue to go to. And when they're there, they started uh, looking at our food products and so on. And now many people would rather come to a small boutique type of market where we offer a wider range of food and items other than just a restaurant. And so that's worked extremely well. So do you um, have that in, in Chibo? Know, is that in Chibo or the others? We, we've done that at, at Chibo King and Chibo Young Street, which, uh, you know, are, work, are working extremely well for us in terms of, well, extremely well in context. So we could be closed or now we're open seven days a week with the market and uh, gamefully employing some of our key staff and, you know, making some sales. So that that's worked out okay. Our biggest dilemma, and you've heard me speak about this before, is the delivery app, and, most, and, and in particular, mostly Uber Eats, because they charge us 30%. And, uh, you know, with 30% of, of fee for delivery, it's very challenging to make money on, on the delivery, which is, you know, our, our only source of revenue. So we've been fighting that. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's ironic because, you know, Uber says this is what it costs us to deliver the food and we have to charge you 30 percent. But I've done this and and you know, and we've started Uber East from Blue Blood, which is a high end steakhouse. We started that in phase two because we felt people were starting to get tired of the same casual food and now wanted a dining experience at home. So we said, let's move to Blue Blood. And Blue Blood has done extremely well, actually, in, in sales because people want a special dinner at home and we're able to provide that. But the, the ironic thing is, you know, I, I, a lot of my uh, customers are in the neighborhood. They're in the Forest Hill neighborhood. And they're in, you know, uh, maybe a few blocks, the Spadina Village. And 
if I want to go from Blue Blood to Spadina Village in an Uber, I could take it for $8. If I deliver a $150 meal to that same address and call Uber Eats, I'm, it's cost me $45. Incredible. How, how does that make any sense? How can you justify that? And it's a real number that people should be looking at saying, there's a problem here. You know, Uber Eats is making so much money because I can't see much difference in their platform and what they're doing versus Uber. And I can call them on my phone and get the driver to come and I can put that food in the car and deliver versus Uber Eats where the, the platform has all that information, just sends me an order. They pick it up and deliver it. So that, that's been the biggest stress and challenge, and that's where we really picked up the battle with Uber because, you know, the, the cost point or the price point at, at the Blue Blood is much higher, and the delivery charges are, are incredibly high. So the, the other thing, Roseanne, I've done is, um, you know, I, I've looked inward and said, okay, how can I get some positive things from this whole pandemic? One is obviously spending more time with my boys. They've moved in with us, and now I've never had so much time with my family, which is fantastic. But how do I give back? And, you know, I, I've created a new program uh, with Mount Sinai Hospital because I've been working with them. I had something called Foodball, which you're pretty oh, well yes. familiar mm-hmm. with. Yep. And so, you know, we have, we have to cancel Foodball this year. And I felt terribly That's with horrible. Mount Sinai yeah. and their situation saying, wow, we, we raised $800,000 for you last year. And now we're not going to be able to do this and we, we won't be able to get back. So we created a new program for Mount Sinai. Uh, we're delivering 100,000 meals to Mount Sinai and the hospital. And what we've done is we've you know, opened our kitchens at Liberty Grand. We have the team. We have the facilities. We have a building that's sitting there empty and, and basically said, well, we're going to do this for, for Mount Sinai. And now we've engaged multiple partners who say, we want to give back during this time too. We haven't been affected as much. Can we get on a program and contribute so we can continue doing this? So I'm hoping that the Liberty Grand and their kitchens will be able to deliver food from Mount Sinai and the front of line workers for the next, you know, two to three months. And we do it daily. We're delivering 500, 500 uh, dinners, lunches per day That's to fabulous. the hospital five days a week. So. Uh, we don't make money at it. No, it but it's great me, communities, uh, community building. Great community, keeps me busy. Uh, one important thing, it keeps my key personnel gainfully employed and back at work as opposed to sitting home wondering what they're going to do and how they're going to make ends meet and perhaps not be in, in the industry anymore. So those are the kind of things we've done in, in, in terms of our operations. And as I said, the giving back part, it's the most work. But at, at the end of the day, at least we have the ability to do so. And, hey, I, I believe in karma, so maybe that'll help me get out of the thing. <laughs> well, let's hope. Um, Charles, from your end, were you able to pivot at all in any of your establishments? Uh, it's been difficult because normally our restaurants don't do uh, deliveries. We do the odd takeout uh, for certain items. But we're mainly a sit-down restaurant that we operate and. We have a cafe at Bisha that's done very well because it was doing it beforehand. You know, it's mainly a takeout business. And then we added Akira back, who's a Michelin star chef, that now you can pick up his sushi um, in the same hotel at Bisha at the cafe, which is, we've extended the hours. We've added five, six hours a day because people are coming and going all times of the day and there's nowhere else open. 
but otherwise it has not worked out that well for me i we don't do that much takeout i'm not really that focused on it because it, there's really no money in it we we're doing it in a few of our restaurants but mainly just to keep our heads busy and few people employed um it's more for morale and keep our name out there but financially no sure no that makes sense delivery is not really uh it's nothing substantial it's like uh you know maybe Charles uh, I 1% Charles Nick Nick here yeah I agree yeah. fully it's like if this is about making money and paying the rent and paying employees absolutely not right and so it is that's why I'm I'm you know challenging Uber for every every percent I can get it, it, you know we're not making money at it and, and we're doing it to keep our our people gainfully employed i think that's a pretty important message yeah that makes sense totally janet I, how I about you mayor, <clears throat> sorry i think the mayor i think john tory was trying to have talks with these delivery companies to drop their uh, percentages i don't know where that ended up <clears throat> well charles i I've, i've been very close to that and and john has uh, john tory our mayor has been trying to help us but he doesn't have the legislative power here in toronto to to uh to legislate it and in san francisco la washington state uh or washington they they actually legislated 15% cap on uber and 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 delivery so they've done that i think here it's it's a provincial item and i'm hoping uh you know you said you you know uh doug ford I know them as well. Those are the kind of things we might have to push with with the uh, provincial government to help us out. Because I honestly believe, as we move forward, if we don't have incremental revenue from our deliveries, which are actually going fairly well for us, uh, other than not being able to make money based on commissions, you know, we need that because if our restaurants at fifty percent capacity, we need uh, ancillary revenue, and the only ancillary revenue is, is going to be. the takeout and delivery for people who don't feel comfortable going to restaurants and so we need to figure out how to make that money on on those deliveries i think that's going to be crucial for the, the survival of many restaurants nick there's been some talk recently about some operators getting together and creating their own delivery app is that something that could happen well we're saying here's the uh, the crux of the of the issue Uh, you know, I can turn off Uber because they're charging me 30% and DoorDash is start charging me 10. And DoorDash has been, you know, really uh, supportive because they were at the 20% or so and and now moved da- down to 10% during this time of crisis. The problem is if I turn off Uber Eats, I lose 80% of my sales. They're the dominant app on on the market right now and you know people just go to Uber Eats to order food and if I'm not on there they're going to order from another restaurant that's there so you know that's a very difficult battle to to, to fight and they're becoming stronger because they're they're now buying Grubhub so uh you know what's going to happen there turn off Uber Eats then my sales drop 80% it's it's not not feasible and and creating your own app well you know how do you get people on that app it's it's not that easy you need millions of people and it's got to be accessible and easy and that's that's not the solution so perhaps the only solution is for government to step in and put some caps on those commission rates i think that's our only solution and the only way we can actually get back to sort of substantial right. some normalcy in terms of making some revenue i would be so pleased if the government just said you know okay uber leave the market because if uber is out of the market people aren't going to the apps for uber they're going to the apps for the restaurants it's just that uber dominates the market and so if they were out of the market altogether 
you know what? I would be at the same revenue as I am now, except I wouldn't be paying the commissions. Yeah, no, it's a uh, challenging so challenge. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Janet, I just... Sorry, I just, um, I just got an email and a text message from um, one of the managers in Miami saying that <clears throat> Miami Date is going to be is going to allow restaurants to reopen on Monday, Nick, with fifty percent capacity. Yeah, that's where everything is going. I haven't heard fifty percent, so I'm very pleased. So, um, to get back to the pivoting for a moment with Janet, uh, were you able to to change your direction at all in your restaurants to deal with this? Well, I closed down all the operations in Toronto before the government mandated us to close. So everything shut down there. Uh, Felix in Los Angeles, uh, we never did takeout. And in, in 48 hours, we pivoted and we created a, you know, a different restaurant, um, takeout and delivery. Uh, Italian food is terrible for takeout, right? Doesn't hold well. It does not hold well. So it, we created... Uh, pasta kits where in three minutes you can have a, a Felix-like quality meal in your home. And I, I say we've we're been very successful with that. And when I say very successful, um, we're doing 50% of our pre-COVID numbers. And I'd say, I don't think we can do more than that. Um, every week, I will say that it gets more popular. I think people are getting tired of cooking for themselves. They sure and are. <laughs> they're, they're coming, they're starting to, starting to even ramp up more. And, um, it's, you know, so it's, 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 you know, we have five, six people working in the restaurant and we're doing 50% pre COVID numbers. I know that I speak to a lot of people in the restaurant business and majority are doing five, 10, maximum 15% of pre COVID revenue. So with my Toronto restaurants closed down, most of them for four weeks, uh, started to reopen, we always had takeout and delivery, so that was that was good. You know, truncated menu, and then to take the pressure off of the kitchen because we have to space people out, and each restaurant has five, maximum six people working. So, a we had to truncate the menu. Then we had to create other revenue streams to take the pressure off the kitchen. So that's when we created a, a marketplace, a grocery store, essentials, meal kits. And we keep adding on to that. You know, now it's barbecue season. Okay, now we're going to do barbecue kits. And every every day we, you know, we're getting creative in what we can offer. So it takes, you know, A, the pressure off the kitchen, B, um, you know, we can employ more people and we can create these other revenue streams because we know that uh, we're going to live this way for two years, right? We're going to live this way. Even when we, yes, we open up to have, um, you know, seating, we know, as, you know, Charles just said, 50% capacity. So your your numbers are going to, you know, can you ever get to 100% your revenue? You're going to have to create, I think, other revenue streams and, um, you know, other, you know, other other ways to uh, make money right now. It's all about, it's all about the revenue and yes, the delivery service, you know, working with the government to cap those delivery service fees or even create your own delivery service, which is what I'm trying to do within my company. Like I'm, I'm looking at everything right now. Everything's, everything's a good idea. So we're looking at everything. Um, the restaurant that's the most successful, I knew it would be as pie. The, uh, my Thai restaurant pie is very, very conducive for delivery. So our delivery was already so strong 
And we just opened up um, about 10 days ago and that one's going to go crazy and, and be great. And uh, uh, we have another restaurant, Kin, which is Royal Thai, very small restaurant. We're, we're pivoting. We can't, we can't bring that back to life. And as Grant is saying, you know, trying to pivot to ideas that work right now, uh, th this, you know, where it's um, more expensive Thai food, a different experience. Uh, we we're, we have to pivot that probably to another pie restaurant. So we're just looking at what uh, people need, want, will buy from us, um, what will work, and you know, how we're going to make money at this. And and in your marketplace, you would have uh, other items like Nick has, like with the. Um with the masks, anything like that? Or is it just related to food at this stage? No, it's essentials. It's everything. It's paper towels, okay. it's toilet paper. It's oh wow, um, absolutely uh, like a grocery store. And we keep adding to it. And um, yeah, we have everything. Okay. I'm interested in knowing how like three of you have restaurants in the U.S. Um, or properties in the U.S. I'm interested in knowing from you how does the assistance that we've had here compare to what's been offered in the States? I mean, we've had some loans here. We've had some, some rent initiatives, although not everybody's happy with them. How do they compare between the two countries? And maybe Nick, you can start and then we can go back to Janet. Well, uh, I, I can say this, uh, that in the U.S., I don't have any concerns whatsoever about surviving and being able to stay afloat. And and keeping my restaurants and venues going for the next uh, year or so because I've had support from the federal government. You know, they've given us loans that we desperately needed not to, to run our business today, but to be able to run it for the next year because we don't know. We, don't, we have an unknown. So without those loans, without liquidity, uh, I would not be able to keep those restaurants open because, you know, we, we don't have the funds to say we're going to uh, keep these restaurants and facilities open for over a year without making the revenue stream that you're accustomed to making. So having the, a federally banked loan gave us money within 48 hours of the application from the banks. That is phenomenal. That's what we need here. Unfortunately, none of those loans, those type of loans have, have been available across the board for many businesses. So, you know, they, they've had small loans, a $40,000 loan for, for uh, businesses. Well, you know, that $40,000 with 10,000 uh, $10, forgivable, it doesn't get you very far. You know, it's, to me, it seems short-sighted. It seems that, okay, uh, with my restaurants, it doesn't even cover half a month's rent. But, you know, even if it did cover for the two or three months that we're closed, that's not the, the crisis. The crisis is going to be moving forward, and I need liquidity and cash flow to move forward for the next year. And they haven't provided that. That is the biggest challenge. And so that's the difference. And in the United States, I can breathe a little easier saying, if I keep my head down, work hard, get through this year, we will survive. Here it's, well, can we survive? How many restaurants can we keep afloat for this long? Which restaurants will we have to close? Right. And, and Janet, from your perspective in L.A., has that been similar or, or different in your experience? You know, it, it, it seems a little bit more useful, the loans on this side. So um, all of us on this call, we received the, the PPP loan, uh, which I think we're very lucky as only about 6% of applicants um, of, of restaurants received the loan, right, on the, on the first round. And with this loan, 
we can cover our payroll and then we can cover full rent. We can pay our landlords full rent for two months. My question is always going to be like, what happens after the two month period? And when, when we just got news this morning that um, the rest of California is, is kind of opening um, slowly, they just uh, shut down LA again for another three months. Incredible. And, um, you know, the day that you get the loan, if, if you're not going to be um, if, it, if it's not going to be a forgiven part that you're using, you know, it goes into a loan that you're paying interest rates on. I personally don't want to dig any deeper holes. The restaurant business, we have razor thin profit margins. Uh, you know, it, it's everything to make money in this business. I'm certainly not going to be like, okay, let's, you know, let's start digging myself out of this hole. Um, so I'm just, I'm using the forgivable portion of it and it's good. Um, you know, as we still try to figure things out over the next two months, it's going to, it's going to help us out. So I really like, I really like it. I'm very happy that we received it. And, um, Toronto, I do like the, the rent kind of forgiveness where, you know, the, it's essentially a 75% reduction in your rent. So far, my landlords are pretty interested in this. Um, I own, mo I own most of the buildings, so I'm just mainly working with my banks and they, they look like they're also cooperating with me, giving me a break on the mortgage. But my rental, my rental properties, the landlords are, are saying that they're interested. We have to still, you know, work with that. And um, the, the payroll subsidy is also working, working in our favor. But again, these are all band-aids. They give us a little help. They give us a little breather. Uh, but this is, this is going on for two years. We have to understand that our capacity will be at 50%. Right. So, and, and for two years. So, and you're very sure this is going to be on for two years. That's amazing how you're so definitive. I love that. Well, I will, I will look, I, you know, from day one, you know, we, we're going to need a vaccine or we live with the virus. So we're going to find a way to live with the virus and we're going to operate in a safe way. When we're allowed to open our restaurants to be sit down restaurants, yes, everyone will be wearing masks and gloves and sanitizing stations and taking temperatures and everything that we're going to do. But um, everyone's going to need to be vaccinated. So A, it's, it's going to take 18 months for a vaccine. And then how long is it going to take to um, vaccinate a couple of billion people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really how long until people are going to be... My restaurants are mostly volume restaurants where people are elbow to elbow. When are people going to feel comfortable like that again? I'm on the two-year plan. I'll stick to that. I said that from day one. But, you know, if I'm going to be making 50% of my revenue, my landlord cannot be con collecting 100% rent. It's just not going to be. So you have to re renegotiate all your leases. I'm on calls around the clock. I'm renegotiating. If there will be, you know, if I have landlords that will not, uh, play ball, let's say, I'm walking, I'm handing them the keys and I'm walking and that's it. Well, that's understandable in these situations. Um, Grant, from, from your perspective, obviously, you know, this rent issue has, has been very controversial. A lot of people don't like it because it puts the onus on the landlords to apply for this. How are you finding that situation? Because I know you've had some issues uh, with that. Um, how are you finding it? Yeah, I mean, I, I have about uh, 10 landlords. I own none of my buildings. And, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're across, they're all across the map here. So, you know, you have some that are doing full, uh, you know, full waiving rent during the closure, even backtracking to March 15th, even though discussion started in April. Um, and then you have 
other landlords looking to defer full rent one month, right? So at that point, I'm like, I might as well just give you three months now, right? So, you know, why wait till, you know, like April and May and May and June and June and July is not helping me because I'm close for all all of those months, right? So, um, you know, I mean, it's it's out, it's kind of out of my control, right? I mean, we do the best. You know, I, I did plea. I, I plead with all my landlords and ask them to really just adopt the mentality of short-term loss and long-term gain. Um, you know, and I ask for, you know, waiving complete rent except for TMI uh, during the government-mandated lockdown, right? So, you know, I've, I've, I've really mixed feelings about the whole thing. And, you know, t- to be honest with you, my, you know, this should be a landlord and a government issue. And, uh, you know, restaurants are the ones that employ people. We, we create the suppliers, essentially. We feed people. We pay the government more money than we make at a profits. And then we pay the landlords their profits, right? So, you know, for me, it's we're the heart of the body here. And, um, you know, I feel like it's, uh, you know, we got to cut off the arm to, to save the body. And really, this should be a discussion between landlords and the government. And they should, you know, like, you know, I, I just think that they should make their claim against the government and the government should just, uh, you know, waive income tax and property tax in the future. And there doesn't really have to be any exchange of money here. Right. Um, it, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, it, it just blows my mind that all, all of this pressure is put onto the restaurant or small business owner. And, uh, we're essentially the heart of the body, right? We, you know, without us, no one else exists or it gets paid. Right. So, you know, uh, we're the ones that should be, you know, held in a bubble right now and, and, and petted and fed grapes, you know what I mean, during this time. So, I don't know. It's, um, you know, but, you know, I, I, you know, as you most of the, you know, Toronto knows, we did get locked out of one of our bars. And, uh, you know, and, um, you know, I, I'm like Janet. It's like, you know, it's, it's not worth going through all this with unreasonable you know, people in this time. And, you know, a lot of these landlords, they have this mentality, like things are going to go back to normal in two months. They're not, you know, um, yeah. you know, I've had, uh, you know, and then, so it's like, take our keys, go for it. And, you know, talk to us in a year and a half. And if you want someone to come back and start paying full rent again, we'll likely be there. Right. But, you know, this whole like government teasing with information and teasing with a little bit of help. Right. It, it's, it's like a, it's like a tire leak. Right. We're just like, you know, we're kind of buying into this idea that we're going to be, you know, we're going to be supported and we're going to be protected. So it's like we're giving landlords a bit of money, you know, because the rent relief thing hasn't been figured out yet. You know, a lot of my landlords own the building with no mortgage. And uh, there's, you know, there's some of the greediest people still asking for, you know, most of the rent. Right. So, I know, you know it's, it's incredible. Not, you know, I'm just personally over it. And I'm like, you know, screw it. Like, take all the restaurants and I'll reopen 10 more in three years right so grant out of your eight restaurants that you operate eight i think um how many um do they do they all have different landlords are there any that are owned by you or are they all landlords no they're, they're all they're all completely different right and so uh and they're all just different personalities different situations and you know some of them have been super reasonable you know some of them do have mortgages and you can tell the ones that have mortgages because they're you know kind of sad like us and uh and trying to figure it out right um and then other ones are just playing like 
you know, you know, using their rights, you know, because the government can only really, you know, uh, mess with them too much. Right. And, uh, and I kind of feel like landlords are playing this thing. Like they know it's going to be two years and it's like, I'm going to arm wrestle these people into giving me as much money now, you know, knowing full well that we're not going to be able to operate properly till two years. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine, you know, calling their bluff and, uh, say, saying here, you know, I'll see you in court in a year or two. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, I can, I can only give you so much in this time. Right. Right. I've heard, um, I've heard it said that there's going to be some changes on that rent and landlord front where maybe some of the onus will be put on the, uh, the restaurateur to, to claim the, the cost of it as opposed to the landlords. Do you think that's going to happen? Anybody? Well, I mean, even if it does, I mean, we, we have to have the money to be able to pay it. Right. And, you know, uh, you know, my, you know, my rent seem, you know, pretty small compared to the, the three people on the, this phone call, you know, so it's, uh, you know, but even to me, it's like, you know, it's, uh, still a lot, it's to a lot you, of right? money to yeah. pay. And, you know, like even the 75% subsidy, I don't know when I'm going to get this money back. Right. Yeah. Well, Roseanne, this Nick speaking, uh, you know, one thing that uh, we have to look at, though, is that the, this rent subsidy is for a $50,000 gross uh, uh, yes. rent mm-hmm. for a restaurant. And uh, any restaurant over set six to 7,000 square feet in downtown Toronto is probably going to exceed that. So for sure. where's the help for those, those kind of restaurants and, and what do they do? And, and it almost compounds the problem because then the landlords for those kind of facilities say, Everybody else got 75%. It was backed by the government. We want 75%. So it, it almost hurts in terms of to be, to be able to negotiate with your landlord saying it, it's not equitable treatment. Uh, we need some relief. And they're saying every other landlord got 75,000. Uh, your, your rent's over 50 gross. Uh, unfortunately, we, we can't apply. You don't uh, uh, aren't eligible and you need to pay the rent. So that's, that's one of the, the, uh, the challenges. And, you know, when you look at any of the larger restaurants in the, in the downtown core, uh, listen, you know, the rent and taxes alone are, are, are not going to be under 50. Right. Yeah. And so you, and I had this discussion with, with John Tory in terms of saying, why, how is this equitable? Because $50,000 uh, in downtown Toronto is very different modeled in $50,000 in, in Saskatoon. And so why are two identical restaurants, and there's some change across, you know, across the country, why are two identical restaurants with same staffing, uh, same menu and size, one is eligible and one is not, just because of a, a, you know, a, a number that they've crunched out. And, and if they were going to do that, why are you penalizing the core of downtown Toronto as a result, because taxes obviously are one thing and the, the dollar per square foot is another thing that drive those rents up and push those people out of that sort of category. And and let's face it, a lot of the restaurants that exist in Canada, the large ones are located in the big cities. So, so that doesn't make any sense, as you said. Look, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I'll tell you my um, biggest problem with uh, what, what's happening or not happening is I had a meeting this morning with OMB, Oliver and Bonaccini, and I speak regularly to one of my partners who owns and runs the Chase Group. And the government is making decisions and is moving forward without having any of us sitting down at a table to discuss really 
how can they help? I don't understand and I don't know who they have internally in the government that is giving them advice because obviously a lot of things they come up with end up backtracking or they, they make changes or why not take a group of us that have been doing this probably jointly for like 200 years and put us together in a room, ask us as to how can we help you guys? No one has reached out. They keep coming out with, you know, plans that don't work or don't work evenly or don't work fairly to everybody. So they're going to be in for a huge surprise. I toured yesterday four restaurants that have shut down. I won't mention the name, but four big restaurants. The smallest one was 7,000 square feet, and the largest one was 9,500. They're closed. Nobody's aware of them that they're closed yet. But I have a friend on the inside. They're two completely different companies. There is going to be so much that's closed, so much unemployment, so much of a disaster that if the government does not react now, it's, you know, as they say, pay now or pay later. But Charles, and later are, it's going to be a lot more painful. Aren't the restaurants being represented, though, by the associations? Aren't you speaking to them to represent your views? How, why is that? Well, it's not, it's it's not the same. It's not the no. same. They need to get some operators in a room, people that are in the field, people that are there 24-7. People have been doing it for 30 years. You know, we're relating message to another person who's being related, and, you know, it's different. They need to get a few of us in a room and have an open conversation. What can we do? How can we avoid a, a bigger disaster in the future because this is going to come back to haunt them in a huge way. And like I said, it's layered. If we fall, which we have already, we're, I think we're all strong operator. We're still standing, but realistically we're standing on crutches. But if we fall a hundred percent, the butchers are gone. The fisheries are gone. The, it impacts know, on so many different people for sure. Oh my, it's insane. Yeah. The impact. The layers of impact is the ripple effect is going to be massive. It is. Oh, so they got to wake up now. Now. So, um, I mean, obviously, everything that the government has tried to do, really, as good as it may be for some smaller businesses, it's not really helping the majority. It sounds like. So, moving forward, we we don't know how long this is going to last. We we assume it's going to last for a long time, as Janet said, maybe two years with you know with things going back to normal at some point down the road. What is this transition period going to look like for restaurants? I mean, in terms of right now, we seem to be on the second phase and just waiting to see when restaurants are going to reopen. But when they do reopen, obviously, it's a different landscape, and restaurants are going to look a lot different. Um, I think operators are going to have to get more creative than ever. And, and I guess crisis has a way of spurring innovation. What kind of innovation do you see happening that, uh, that is realistic for the industry? Because as Janet said, 50%, you know, changes your business model quite significantly. Um, how, how will the restaurant industry look moving forward? Because it's not going to be the same as what we've been used to. Look, we're, uh, also our overhead and expenses are going to go up. Of course. Because we're going to need to clean every time somebody gets up from a table. You have to sanitize and clean. So that's not going to happen by a waiter who's serving a pasta to the table next to you. So now you have two, three, four employees that are there just to jump and clean and sanitize. You're going to need more staff at the front if we're going to be 
taking people's temperature because you can't be ordering, taking, you know, reservation over the phone and taking somebody's temperature at the time. And the environment is going to be quite different. Walking in and seeing waiters with masks and gloves and like it's, it's very clinical. It's going to take away the fun and the excitement out of going. And I think we're all in restaurants that most of us on the scholar are in restaurants that are very much about the whole experience, about a little bit of entertainment, you know, and, you know, uh, being able to socialize and so on. The way we're doing it now, which I understand is a safety issue and, a, and a, uh, you know, it's brought in by the medical team. But, you know, it's imagine you walk in and you see these big empty spaces between tables and waiters, you know, with the mask and gloves. And it's, it's pretty crazy. It's not hospitality it's, at all. It's not hospitality. It's just going to be about going out to eat. So I don't cook at home, but. Um, you know, you're afraid to socialize with anybody. I mean, I have nightclubs and bars that I'm sure for the next probably 12 months will not reopen because, you know, you can't open a nightclub or a bar with 50% capacity because what am I going to do? Squares on the floor and people walk in and they go into a square? Like, you know, Charles, it's just not uh, interestingly, I got a, a press release a few weeks ago, oh, not weeks ago, a few days ago from a, from a place in the States, and they've actually launched a digital nightclub. So it's basically a virtual party in somebody's home. <laughs> would that be something so you would you, do? I want to tell you, we've been doing that for the last month. And you realize, you know, with DJs and so on, you realize your numbers go down because... What are you going to do at home? Like, it's all about being with other people and socializing. And so you sit at home and what? You dance together uh, by yourself and have a drink alone. And, you know, um, what, I, what I was doing this whole morning is I'm turning Cabana, which is an outdoor patio, kind of a nightclub uh, outdoor, but it holds, it holds uh, about 3,000 people. I'm turning it um, as a restaurant for the summer because I'll be able to see roughly 500 people with the six feet, seven feet apart. Really? Wow. Uh, so we're doing that. Also, we have a parking lot that holds 500 cars. And I brought my whole team in to, we're going to do drive-in theater and concerts. What a great idea. So you know what? I, I don't know if we'll make money out of it at all or make a little bit, but we're a big company that's used to moving all the time and sitting on our hands is really mentally, emotionally is destroyed, you know? So we get excited about what we're going to do here for the summer. I'm, I'm still here actually. Um, I don't know if we're going to make money. It's not about making money right now. It's about surviving, keeping your name out there, um, keeping people, you know, uh, used to being part of what you're doing. But the expenses of this whole big setup is not cheap. So at the end of the day, um, I doubt we'll make money. I think it'll be, you know, changing a, a dollar for four quarters or making, you know, something minimal. But we do need to keep motivated. I, I can't sit at home. You know, I'm a 24-hour, uh, seven days a week kind of person. And Makes sense. You know, that's what drives yeah, us, you know. Sure. So when you sit, you're idle. So Janet, how it's, about uh, you? What what are you, what do you see as creative innovation coming from your group? 
Well, I'll, I'll piggyback on what, what Charles said, and I think everyone should be looking to maximize outdoor space. So, you, you know, you see in other countries, I'll use one country as an example, Lithuania is allowing, uh, the government is allowing all restaurants and bars to take over public space, outdoor space. So I think we have to all think about, uh, you know, making people feel safe and then maximizing revenue. And, you know, the how the restaurants are going to look, we've, we know other countries are already opening and it's going to look in that way. Um, you know, maybe that you, you know, the, your servers are wearing face shields that actually look cool. So I'm working with my architect to design really cool uh, face shields. And um, then, you know, yes, we're going to take temperatures and maybe, you know, wearing gloves and uh, these protocols for extreme hygiene and, you know, sanitizing your restaurant, um, you know, it has to be that you, you keep your people safe, you keep your staff safe, and the customers feel safe. But I, I believe that people do want to get out there again. And even if it is just, you know, to have a meal, uh, you we have to know that we're going to be seating at, at 50%. So your revenue is cut, cut by that. And, that. and then everything else has to be negotiated, you know, with your landlords and your banks and everything like that. Uh, because Restaurants run on razor-thin profit margins. Therefore, we're going to have to renegotiate everywhere. But I think that, you know, um, a few of my restaurants have good, you know, you know, uh, decent, decent space on patios that uh, I know that this summer in Toronto, people are going to feel, uh, you know, safe sitting on those patios, uh, seating six feet apart. Uh, with my restaurant, Felix, we're an indoor restaurant, but right behind, there's a little parquet. So I went to my landlord and I said, I, I, can I use that to seat people outdoors? And he knows if he helps me, he's just going to get rent from me. So he's like, yeah, I'll work with you. So I think it's like, um, you know, I'm also looking, um, I'm asking the city if I can seat, um, extend out into the sidewalks, um, just public space. I think this is, you know, I think this summer in Toronto, they're dying to get out in Toronto, you know, Torontonians love, you know, when the weather turns and I know it's been a hard winter there, but when we, when you can sit outdoors, people are just going to want that. So working with the government to take over sidewalk space, outdoor space, maximize patios. I think that's the number one thing that everyone should be doing. Well, I think this morning it was announced uh, that Toronto would start looking at extending some uh, sidewalk space um, on King Street. So I think it's exactly what you're talking about, Janet. So so that makes sense. And those shields could look very futuristic. That that could be kind of cool, I guess. Um, Nick, how about you from a, from an innovative perspective? What can restaurants do differently moving forward? Well, I, I happen to concur with a, a lot of the comments uh, from Janet and, and Charles, and uh, we have also been looking at the, the outdoor space and expanding our, our, our footprint outside because people enjoy it out there and we have the additional space. So at Casaloma, you know, well, we do have large uh, patio area and we probably have a capacity of 500 with the social distancing uh, parameters. Uh, I guess we just have to hope that, uh, you know, the, the government doesn't cap that, that social distancing with a cap on capacity. So that's my concern right now because uh, that, that uh, applies to our large properties like Liberty Grand and the special events. And what is that capacity that they're going to 
say maximum is going to be 100 people or is it going to be 250 people or or just based on social distancing? So that's one of the, the concerns. So you're, you're trying to pivot without knowing what the answer is. And but, you know, we're moving forward trying to to do that. Uh, similar to uh, Janet, we've started custom designing our, our face masks for our employees because we know we're going to have to have them and we don't want surgical masks. So uh, we're in the process of, of doing that as well. Uh, we've done things such as alcohol delivery. I think everybody, uh, everybody else in the line has, uh, has talked about that. And, uh, you know, so we've uh, increased our sales by selling wine and by selling uh, liquor and things that we regularly would not have, have, have sold. And so uh, the online marketing, for example, with Liberty Group in Castelloma, we have a, a, a Father's Day Castelloma package where you will get knives from Blue Blood, a gift certificate, a bottle of wine, and we're selling that on- online and that'll go over extremely well. So that's all incremental revenue for us, a revenue stream we never had before. So we're, we're trying to be uh, innovative. I think the, the real challenge is this, is that if, if we don't have a vaccine which cures this problem and cures this social distancing, we are going to have a challenge in terms of the, the models that we have now are not feasible because they're not feasible at 50, 50%. And then either the landlords or the city or somebody has to do something to reduce our costs to be able to be sustainable. So, you know, right now we're looking at, we're hoping the vaccine, we're out of this in two years, a year and a half to two years, and we can go back to business as a normal in terms of capacities. And if that doesn't happen, our, our models don't work anymore. We just cannot have pay to the change rent the model, right? Right, right. So, okay. and, and Janet and Charles, you may be interested. I've been discussing with City of Toronto closing down Yorkville right now. So maybe you, the three of us can get together and, and really push for that to happen because if they close Yorkville, then we'll have some nice patios for our restaurants. We all three of us have a restaurant on. That's on, a great idea. Yeah. Grant, how about you? Any uh, innovations that you can think about moving forward? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, not to, you know, like I, I also think there's something, you know, interesting about not necessarily opening up our restaurants for regular business at a certain capacity. Um, you know, not to say that I don't want to open and, you know, go back to normal and employ people, but, you know, I do think with this kind of weird thing that we're doing within our restaurants and, you know, I I really feel like this like takeout is really only scratching the surface of, you know, what we can do. Right. Um, and and I think that, you know, like I, I just I, I don't have a lot of faith in reopening. Um, you know, I've heard 20 percent recently and, you know, even 50 percent. Um, you know, I, I just I, I look at my spaces, you know, Bar Raval and I'm like, you know, geez, like, how are we going to, you know, how do you control people? Right. Because we, we don't have tables, this, that, whatever. Right. So, um, you know, I. I could see it almost being, you know, tougher to be opening um, at a, you know, lower capacity like that. And, um, you know, so I feel like, you know, these restrictions that have been put on us right now, we're, again, we're just scratching the surface of, you know, interesting things we can do, because I think there's a lot more than just what the regular takeout we're doing and stuff like that, um, that we could come up with. But, uh, you know, I, I, it just scares me that, you know, we're going to reopen and then, have to shut down and you know the, the amount of m- money that it costs to you know you know we're gonna have to start paying off all our suppliers if we haven't already 
we're going to have to, uh, you know, put the labor into, you know, pre-opening uh, and then hoping that customers come in and, you know, our customers going to make a reservation, you know, some of our restaurants rely on it. Right. So um, are they going to make a reservation or are they going to, is it going to be a, you know, a game time decision here? Right. So how do we prepare for that? Um, you know, uh, are we going to be losing food constantly? Um, so I, I I would kind of almost rather one or the other at this point. And, uh, you know, uh, I just think that we could come up with some interesting things. And, you know, I, I totally agree with taking over, you know, outdoor space. But, you know, again, that's competitive advantages for a lot of other restaurants, you know, and not necessarily all restaurants. Right. So, you know, even within my restaurants, I have a couple patios and I'm like, you know, we're, we're, we'll, we'll be golden, you know, for the summer. But, you know, come winter. Um so, you know, I, I know some countries have, you know, shut down full streets and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like Canada is so far behind on that kind of patio culture that, you know, uh, it, it would be hard to comprehend them, you know, uh, you know, really kind of, you know, going forward in that respect. So. So but, you would uh, you would yeah. assess whether or not you want to open it all or, or get into a whole different area, perhaps that's yeah, a little bit more I, different. I, 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 I mean, I'm not, I don't even know if I plan to open my restaurants or at least some of them that are a little bit more like sit down specific, like Bar Isabel, let's say, you know, uh, at a 50% capacity, um, you know, when it becomes, you know, legal to do so, because I don't know if I have faith in everyone that's going to come out. Right. So, um, you know, I'd, I'm likely going to wait a week or two. And kind of see what happens because, you know, every, every city is different, right? I, I feel like people in the city, you know, they're less likely to come into a restaurant than someone more in a rural, you know, area, right? Um, or in some sta- some U.S. states or something. I, I think, you know, real city people, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be a little bit more reserved in this thing, you know, and maybe that's the capacity, maybe that's just the demographic of the clientele or what have you, but... Um, you know, I, I'm not jumping to reopen if, uh, if they say open at 50%, I'm not like first day going to open. I'm going to see what anyone else does. And because as far as I know, other than some of these Yahoo places, you know what I mean? Uh, a lot of places are still sitting empty. Right. So I, I, I think it, I think reopening is, you know, potentially going to take away from, um, you know, uh, what we've already kind of spent the last two months building, but, uh, I'm, I'm also fine being wrong with there. You know what I mean? I, I, I'd prefer to be pleasantly surprised, but I just don't know. So, well, it is uh, going to be a different world. And I, I understand totally what you're saying. You want to wait and see how this all plays out because the other problem is you, you put all that effort into reopening. And if there's another second wave, you know, a few weeks from then, we could be back at the same thing. So, so I understand exactly what you're saying. No, Rose, like Rose I, think, Charles, I, I wanted to jump in and say this 50% uh, seating. I mean, even though that's what we have to do based on, on health restrictions, uh, but it really confuses me and um, how I'm going to open only 50% capacity, but I have to pay full rent. Yeah. That's uh, a very good point. When they when they come to clean, you know the uh, the restaurant. I you don't tell the cleaner we're only last night at fifty percent. I'm going to pay you fifty percent. 
doesn't matter. Liability is liability and fire and, and uh, you know, uh, theft and so on. I, I'd say 80% of our expenses are going to remain the same. They're not going to change to 50%. There's no landlord going to come and say, I'm going to charge you 50%. And if they do, it's for a month or two. And I think the 50% is going to last a long time. So, you know, some of it will not make sense at all. Some of it will not make sense at all. And you cannot transfer those expenses to uh, the clients. You can't take no. your... Well, uh, and they won't pay higher prices what? also. They've been dealing with layoffs and no jobs. And so it's a whole exactly. different world, right? And that's why the warning out to the government is deal with us now, help us out now, because later is going to be much more complicated, much more expensive. And that message goes out to landlords as well. Insurance companies, who are some of them that we contacted, are even refusing to put our insurance on hold. Um, so it's very complicated. And only the government at this point can really jump in. Has the power. forward, 100%. They have to legislate some of these changes. You know, they should legislate that landlords should go, you know, accept their offer and take 75%. But yeah. well, they have the power to do that. That's the thing. And if nobody, you know, nobody Canada, else can jump in. Canada's never been that city of, you know, people going to the streets and, and look at Europe. They'll riot. They'll cause issues. They'll, Toronto is like a city of sheep. That's how I think of it. <laughs> uh, the city of sheep. I think uh, not enough people speak up. Uh, however, I promise you, you will hear from me if in the next two weeks, I'm not happy with what the city, what the government, what the country is doing for us. I will be one of these people that will be starting to cause issues because we cannot be a paid. I just got a letter yesterday in the mail about, you know, I, I was short 19,000 or whatever on my income tax. Like the amount of income tax, sales tax, you know, the amount of money we have paid, I've been in business 36 years. I've never collected any money. In 36 years, I've made tens of millions of dollars to the government. Come on, wake up, smell the coffee, start helping us, get us on board. Duck Ford, invite us, a group of us, to sit down at a round table and get to the bottom of this. Enough with this nonsense of message. And then they're on TV and the message is, We'll let you know in a few days what we're planning. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's going to get people like me very upset and very vocal. Well, we'll share this podcast with the government. How's that? Oh, I'm more than happy uh, for you to share it and invite me to be there. All right. So um, we're running out of time uh, shortly. And I just wanted to, I guess, end the podcast with a few lessons learned along the way. This is obviously something nobody expected to live through a few months ago. And it's been horrible, as we've heard today from all of you. It's, it's just a horrible time for the industry. And our heart breaks for so many businesses that have spent so many years building up uh, a brand name and identity only to go through all this. But there's probably been a few lessons that everybody has learned during this time. And, I, and I'm interested to hear from you as to what some of those lessons are. Um, Janet, how about you? Well, you know, uh, like I stated um, at the beginning, I really felt that I was untouchable. Um, my, my main goal in life w was uh, to feel secure, to build a foundation. You know, I built my um, 
restaurants in, in a very slow fashion over 24 years and, you know, focusing on buying real estate. And I thought, um, nothing could happen to me. And I, I, I thought, you know, if the economy should have a downturn, like in 2008, people will always want to have pizza. I'm in most of my restaurants are just value propositions and neighborhood restaurants. And I thought in good times, people want to eat pizza. And in bad times, people want to eat pizza. Never have I ever imagined. And, and, and you know, we've never faced any of any, this is the black swan, this global pa- pandemic and nobody, nobody could plan for this, but I'm going to, um, just be a little bit more cautious about how I grow the company. And, um, I, I now know that anything can happen and, you know, we, we probably will face more pandemics in the future. So it's planning for the worst in a very different way where this wasn't in the equation before. That's great. Thank you. Um, Grant, how about you? Well, I was just trying to figure out the answer uh, <laughs> question. Uh, you know, I mean, what have I learned? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I know restaurateurs are a resilient group. Um, you know, if not one of you know the most resilient group of individuals. Uh, you know, the, the you know the amount of stuff uh, that we deal with on a day to day is uh, you know in, incredible. The situations and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I guess for me, it's just you know. I'm still fixated. A a big problem for me is the landlords and, um, you know, it's just, uh, it just, you know, I'm just really disappointed. Um, you know, sorry, I ended on a sad note. Well, you should be, you should be. It's been horrible the way they've dealt with it. I'm just really disappointed on, uh, human beings in some respects. Right. And, you know, like the solution to, to getting through this, is is really about everyone uh, kind of playing their part, and I just feel like there's a lot of undue, you know, you know, unnecessary stress and hardship, um, you know, because you know the the business we're in with the landlords, the government everywhere, it's a, this is a, a relationship, right? And um, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm honestly just extremely disappointed on on. Uh, you know, the, the conversations and situations that, um, you know, an unreal, unrealistic uh, situations I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been, you know, dealing with the last two months, right? No, and you should be, it's, uh, it's horrible. And, and, and I hope to some degree, um, you know, obviously it gets better for you on that front, but, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see, I guess. Um, Nick, how about you? Any, any big lessons for you? Well, you know, um, it's it's incredible how something can change instantly overnight. Uh, even though you plan for the the worst and and being careful in terms of your your growth and and development, um, uh, we have been in good in a, in a good situation financially, fiscally prudent, uh, grown at a slow pace or slow enough to ensure that we can carry ourselves. And regardless of what we've done, it wasn't enough. And uh, the reality is, if we had done it any other way we wouldn't be in business anyway so at, at the end of the day we've done all we could uh we will be fine i i know some of our properties will will suffer and uh, many of our staff will suffer and i feel badly about that uh we will come through this i mean you know we have a diverse enough portfolio and diverse enough landlords that uh we will be able to negotiate our way through and and you know key is sustainability for the year keep your head low and, and make it work uh, but one thing I've, I've learned is, uh, you know, really to appreciate the, the success we've we've had so far and pursue it further. But 
the fact that being able to give back has has really been important to me in the past little while. Uh, as I mentioned, we've done work with Mount Sinai and doing work with food banks uh, and, and, and doing a, a few different things. And it's, it's sort of fulfilling because, you know, I've, I've been able to reach out in the past uh, couple of weeks because I literally don't have much more to do. So uh, well, how, how can I contribute? And, you know, I've been able to raise a couple of hundred thousand dollars that goes directly to those those charities and I'm, I feel good about the ability that you know I, I have to to do that and, and give back I can't open my restaurants but at least I can still use my uh, some of the skills that I've learned over the years to to help others and and then the, the last point is that that very different in the past uh, couple of months is I've spent more time with my family than I ever have before and I've been doing this for 35 plus years and it's it's that kind of business that we work around the clock. I know Janet and uh, Grant and, and Charles can concur with this. We just work around the clock because that's the nature of our industry. And to, and sometimes to to you know the uh, the uh, jeopardy of our, our our personal lives and time with the family. So you know, look, I've learned that in the future I will continue to spend more time with my family and and do those other things and it's not just going to be about work so that's a lesson I will take out of this and that will grow as, as people I think well that's a big lesson and it's very inspiring to hear about uh, the money that's been raised um, on those causes very 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 well done and also when you look at the industry over the last two months uh, the community spirit that is out there is just very inspiring so you should all be very proud of that Charles, any last uh, points from you on lessons learned? Um, well, the only thing for me is I learned that our government is not a very fast-moving government. Um, you know, I, I ran a, a tight ship. Like I said, I've been in it 36 years. We have a very strong finance department, marketing department. We run a very tight ship. Uh, we're on top of it, a lot of senior staff. Uh, employed by Inc. And uh, I thought we were doing everything right. And I still feel like up until the day we closed, we were doing everything right and properly. We've learned a lot over the years. Um, and we, we have given back quite a bit, you know, to the city. I think we, we're all learning to give back as much as possible. We, we do a lot of meals. We take a different hospital, uh, fire halls, uh, uh, anywhere where there's frontline workers, every week we choose a couple of them and we hand deliver a couple of hundred meals, breakfast, uh, desserts, all of that. I, I think we all feel that uh, we should stick together and we should help each other. Uh, I think it definitely brought the city and the people of the city and the country closer to one another. But um, it's it's really sad that some of the big corporations and the big landlords are not being that helpful. Some are very understanding and helpful and some are not. Um, but it is going to backfire on anybody who has not rolled up their sleeves to say, I'm here to help. Anybody who's not helping, whether the community, whether the tenants, the, the banks, whoever it is, it is going to backfire because this is a global issue. It's not a local neighborhood thing. Um, it's very crucial that we come together stronger and better. It's very crucial that the government does more and looks to the future rather than right now. We've been uh, fed uh, little crumbs at a time without any real focus, without any real timeline. And I do understand that um, 
you know, everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid to reopen. Everybody's afraid to give, uh, you know, because of lashbacks. But we've got to get a little more oomph into what we're doing. We have to be a little more aggressive, a little more forward. I think we're so careful. I hope it does not backfire in a big way. Well, that's, uh, that's a great thought to end with. And uh, on that note, I think it gives us a lot to think about moving forward. And, uh, and hopefully the next few weeks, we, we see some changes and, and, uh, and we get through this terrible time, um, you know, all whole. So um, our time is up. And um, I really want to thank you all for being here today. I know it's been a crazy time and you're all very busy. So I really do appreciate that. And I also appreciate your innovative spirit in keeping this industry so vibrant and dynamic over the years. I'm sure each of you will survive, but we look forward to, uh, to seeing how this all plays out. And, uh, and in the meantime, to staying safe. So thank you for your time. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.